Paul Harvey had one of the most recognizable voices in the world. Each and every week, his radio show was heard by millions and millions of Americans. Uh, if he were doing his thing today, he'd be a, a popular podcaster. He'd be like at the top of the ranks with Joe Rogan and Dax Shepard fighting for the top spot on iTunes. One of the reasons that his show was so popular, I believe, is because it was so predictable. Each and every week on his show, you knew exactly what to expect. He started it and ended it the same way each week. He would open every broadcast with the same few words. He would say, hello, America, I'm Paul Harvey. And then, in the middle, he would tell this surprising but true story that always, always had a twist at the end. And then, at the close of the program, he would say the same thing week in and week out. And everyone over 40 knows what I'm about to say. He would end every episode like this. And now you know the rest of the story. This morning, we are wrapping up a teaching series that we've been in for a handful of weeks called Better Than Before, where we're talking about how the Christian life invites us to become stronger on the other side of struggle. And we started in week one by talking about how there is this invitation for people of faith to, to choose to grow as a result of the difficult things that have happened in their life. And then last week, Pastor Tyler did a great job talking about what it means to live as a healthy follower of Jesus, even though you carry all this baggage and all these wounds that you're trying to grow from. He talked about the distinction between reacting to life out of your wounds versus responding to life by God's Spirit. And today, we're going to end this series by making Paul Harvey proud. Because what we're going to talk about is how, how growth as a follower of Jesus Christ is tied to our trust in the rest of the story. Growth as a follower of Jesus is tied to our ability to hold on to the hope that there is more to this story than the struggles in our life, that God is going to bring all of this to a good ending. Now, when Christians use that word hope, what does it mean? Well, I think that the best way to define it is this, that hope is confidence that God will keep his promise. Hope is a living confidence that the followers of Jesus are called to have, that God is going to keep his promise, specifically that he is going to keep that promise to bring all things to this glorious and good end. It is a promise that God is going to take all this stuff that we're experiencing now and he's going to transform it in the end into something glorious. That's what our hope is in. Our hope is in Jesus, that Jesus, because of his work, will bring that ending about. So, so just, just to prove that to you, I want to jump back to Romans 5, which is where we've been camping out throughout this series, and, and start at verse 2. Paul says this, Through Christ we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and here's the, the key for this morning, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What we believe is that one day, Jesus Christ, who is right now ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father, he is going to return. And when he does, this world, and, and you, and me, uh, we will be made glorious. All things will be transformed, completed, and perfected at his return. 
And, and what we're looking forward to in that ending is not just the fact that things are going to be completed, but one of the great gifts, one of the great graces that we will receive at that end when Christ returns and makes all things glorious, we, we will receive the gift of not only that things are perfected finally, but we can see how all of it is connected. We can see what all the things that we've gone through have been leading toward we will be able to have a bit of the perspective that God has now. We will be able to see that all the things that led us to tears have ultimately been working towards this moment of triumph and that none of our pain will have been wasted. That's the great gift of that day. And that promise that all things will be made glorious in the end, it helps to carry us through the middle. It gives us the desire to grow and to keep going in the middle of this thing, knowing that there is glory, the glory of God, renewing and recreating all things, waiting for us at the end of this thing. Now, there are those who claim that, that this particular hope, this Christian hope, actually gets in the way of Christians growing and changing over their lives. There are some who say that this belief that, that God's going to make all things glorious, it, it ultimately could lead to apathy in the life of the believer, where you just kind of check out and say, well, if it's all in God's hands, what do I have to do with it anyway? Let me just wait and let him perfect things in the end. And you just kind of end up checking out of this thing called life, like, like Bernie was checking out of the inauguration, right? Well, if God's got it, then I'll just wait it out and go to the post office later. Now, the truth is that that's not really the case. Uh, we, we, don't, we, we don't check out of life because we know that God's going to make all things better in the end. Now, now, there are those who say that maybe it doesn't cause us to have apathy, but, but it does perhaps encourage people to live in denial. Perhaps Christians feel this pressure if they truly believe that God is going to make all things good in the end. They feel this pressure to pretend that they're happy and they're full of peace right now in the middle. And so maybe it encourages people of faith to, to play down their problems or to not grieve their pains, in which case, if you play down your problems, you've gone from one meme to the other. Your life is more like this meme. This is fine. Everything is fine. Or perhaps to make it more appropriate for the moment, we put Bernie in there and we say, this is fine. Everything's fine. But I, I reject that notion. I reject the notion that Christian hope stirs up either apathy or denial. Instead, what I would, I would argue to you is that it it, it encourages us to engage in this life and look for evidence of God's work all around us. I prefer the, the definition of hope that Tertullian wrote in like the second century. He's one of the ancient church fathers. Tertullian said that hope is this. He said that hope is patience with the lamp lit. Hope is patience in this dark world uh, with the lamp lit, or modern people might say with your flashlight app on. Though you know you're living in difficulty and darkness, you, you light the light and you are expectant and you are eager, knowing that God is going to begin working good in and through all of this and that he's ultimately going to bring good and glory in the end to all of this. And so what hope is, is not checking out or living in denial of the pains of life, but it is having having the light of faith on where you're looking around saying, I, I know that God is going to fix all of this. 
And I know that he is going to bring glory out of all of this. And I'm expecting it and I'm waiting for it. And I'm looking for it today. Uh, here's how this works. I, I, think, I think hope for Christians creates a bit of divine discontent. Divine discontent. Knowing that things are going to be glorious in the end, we become discontent with how broken they still are today. And, and dissatisfied with how bad and broken things still are today, what we try to do is bring a little bit of the ending forward into this painful middle. It's this divine discontent that, that led Christians throughout the world to, and throughout history to, to be the leaders in creating social welfare programs. It's what stirred Christians to create hospital systems and, and the modern university system. It's what led Christians to be on the front lines in the fight against injustice and oppression. They are dissatisfied with the way things are. They know that God is leading all things towards glory, and they're so dissatisfied with today that they try to pull some of the future into the present. Also, this leads us to be honest about our pains and honest about our struggles, to weep and to wail about the things that hurt because we know, we know that the more honest we are about the pains that we have today, the more appreciative we will be in the end when that glorious and good day arrives. Hope doesn't call us to check out or to deny the difficult realities of life. This hope that we hold to it makes us expectant, and we try to bring some of the future into the present, and we are honest about the difficulties of today because we know it will increase the joy tomorrow. Now, if all of that is true, then, then how do we, as people of faith, how do we stay anchored in this hope that, that is meant to keep us growing and meant to keep us going? How do we stay anchored in this? How do we stay confident in it? Well, I think the scriptures lead us to, to, to at least two things. Uh, first, to stay anchored in this hope, we have to stay close to the promises that stir up this hope. We need to stay close to the promises that stir up this hope. You know, one of the many blessings of, of being a pastor, of doing what I do for a living, is that you get to take part in a whole lot of weddings. And every wedding that I've officiated uses the same set of vows between husband and wife, between bride and groom. And there's one particular line in that traditional set of vows, those tried and true vows, that, that always stands out to me. And if you are or have been married, chances are you said these words, and the words are these, to have and to hold from this day forward. To have and to hold from this day forward. Now, the reason those words are important, the reason those promises are important is because it, it reminds you that, look, if this, this love that we have is to stay alive, then I have to keep this person that I love in front of my eyes, and I have to keep them close at hand. Because if I don't have them in my hands, if I don't behold them with my eyes every day of my life, if I don't have them here and here, then then love and appreciation and connection, it all starts to fade right here. It's, it's really easy in marriage to go from to have and to hold to, to wave and to high. Eh? As you just float through married life. 
which is why like date nights are important and meals together are important and prayers together are important and flirty text messages in the middle of the workday are important. It, it keeps you connected. You, you have and you hold one another. The same is true with the Christian faith. If you want your heart to be anchored in these promises, this confidence of what God is going to do in the very end, you have to have and to hold these promises. And what that means is you have to have a close proximity to God's word. Simply put, if you don't yet have a Bible that you can read and understand, you need to get one. And we live in a world where there's a whole lot of other resources too. You can get an app that will read the Bible to you. You can listen to podcasts to teach you the truths of Scripture. You can join a class here at St. Mark to be in community with other people around these Scriptures so that your heart can be in close proximity to the, the promises that stir up your hope. Promises like the ones we read just a moment ago from Romans 8 and Genesis 50. I mean, these are words that should be tattooed in your brain. Let me read them again. Genesis Chapter 50, verse 20 says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, God is working all things towards good. And God can use even the evils and the brokenness of life to bring about his good and glorious ending in this world. We hold tight to those. We have those so that it might anchor us in the hope that we have. So second thing, I think, I think what we have to do in order to be anchored into this hope is be on the lookout for the evidence, the proof in this life that strengthens our hope. If you're taking seriously what we talked about in week one to, to accept that invitation to grow, what, what you are then called to do is, is have eyes open that are looking for evidence of that growth and of that change and let that evidence of that growth and change make you confident of the growth and change to come. Let the evidence of the growth and the change make you that much more confident that, that God is going to keep his promise tomorrow because it's starting today. You can see it. You see, the glory that God promises tomorrow is not just something that happens in an instant tomorrow, but the transformation, though it is not completed in this life, it begins in this life as you grow and change on the other side of struggle. So open your eyes to it. Look for it. Because, the, because that growth and that change serves as proof that God is keeping his promises. Look, look again at Romans 5. And I want you to pay special attention to the word character. Verse 3, Paul says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, the word there in Greek that's typically translated as character, more strictly speaking, uh, more, more, more directly translated, is evidence of strength and survival. That's what character in this context is. It is evidence of something that has shown strength, stood the test of time, and survived. Kind of like when you find an old leather-bound book, and it's got, it's got markings all over, the, all over the leather, like it is really weathered. 
Like the book itself, without even opening it, tells a story like, oh, people have read this. This has seen some things. And the character, the markings on that old leather, it makes it even more valuable because you know the story in those pages, that book itself tells a story. Like it's been with some people. It's gone through some things. It's survived the test of time. That's what Paul is talking about. You go through all these things in your life, and then there's this growth that comes from it, and that is evidence of survival and strength that gives you confidence that God is working today and he's going to keep his promise tomorrow. My wife and I, we like to watch home renovation shows. What that means is I like to sit on the couch while my wife watches home renovation shows. And, and without fail, these couples, when they're looking for the house to buy that they will ultimately renovate, uh, they, they all say they want the same thing. They want a house with a lot of character. They want a house with a lot of character. The problem is, they can never really seem to agree on what character they want. Like he wants an office with original built-in bookshelves and she wants some farmhouse sink in the kitchen. They can never agree on what they want, which is why every time we watch one of these shows, I look at my wife and I'm like, I give them three weeks. And she's like, in the house? I'm like, no, like with each other, in the marriage. Because they are clearly a mismatch. But the reason they want a house with character is probably twofold. Number one, it's a more interesting place to live and invite your friends over. But, but, there, but there's like a deeper reason we want a home with character. Because the, the intricacies and interesting details of the home tell us that it's part of a larger story, like it has a past. And if it's survived with all that interesting detail intact today, perhaps it can sustain itself on into the future. The character of the home tells me, oh, it's part of a bigger story. And it gives me confidence that if it's lasted to this point, and retained its beauty. Maybe it can last into the future. And God is doing the same thing in you. That's what he means about character. He's growing you and changing you on the other side of struggle, and it's meant to give you confidence that he's working this larger story in you, and that the work has begun today to change you and to glorify you, and he will finish it in the end. Look for evidence of God's activity. And celebrate it. Let me give you some examples. Maybe on the other side of something truly, truly horrible, you've discovered that you have more gratitude for life in general. Very often when people go through difficult things, they'll say that, that they enjoy the little things of life so much more. Like maybe the sun is a little brighter to you or the taste of coffee is a little better for you or, or family time is just more meaningful for you. Even the stuff that used to annoy you carries more significance for you. You know what that is? That's character. That's evidence of your strength coming out of struggle. Celebrate it. God is keeping his promise to you today that he's going to bring all things to a glorious end tomorrow. Or perhaps on the other side of this really difficult season that you've been in, you now have these relationships that you really value. Like you've you've been through something awful that you wouldn't wish on anybody else, but now there are these people in your life as a result of this pain that you've endured that you truly appreciate Or now there are other people in your life that you're able to help and empathize with. Call that for what it is. That's character. God is growing you and blessing you and changing you. He's he's keeping his promise about what will happen tomorrow, and it's starting today. Or or perhaps on on the other side of the difficult thing that you've been through, you've discovered that you are a lot stronger than you once thought you were. 
Like there is more emotional and mental strength in you today than there was before. Uh, things in life that are difficult you thought would have broken you down, but now you know that you can withstand just about anything. You know what? You are stronger. Celebrate that for what it is. God is growing you, changing you. It's character that he's putting in you, evidence of strength and survival. It's proof that he's keeping his promise starting today of what he's going to fulfill tomorrow. Or perhaps you've gone through something horrific but, and prior to that horrible thing, you didn't give one thought to God, not at all, not nothing, but now you are very aware of his presence. And though you went through something awful, you now have this spiritual vibrancy in your life. You're now awakened to the reality of God's presence and his goodness. Call that for what it is, it's character. God is growing you and changing you on the other side of struggle and he's keeping his promise starting today and he's gonna fulfill it tomorrow. Where is the evidence of God's activity manifested in your life today? Harold Kushner uh, went through something horrible, and then he wrote a, a best-selling book. Uh, the, the, the book is in, in, entitled, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? And Harold Kushner lost his young son, Aaron, Tragically. And, and in his book, Kushner writes these words. Kushner says, I'm a more sensitive person, a more effective pastor, a more sympathetic counselor because of Aaron's life and death than I ever would have been without it. And I would give up all those gains in a second if I could have my son back. But listen to what he says. But I cannot choose that. In other words, he doesn't have the option to choose to have his son back. And so what he's saying here is, since he can't choose to undo the pain, he will make a choice to be grateful for some of the growth that has come in him as a result of this unspeakable loss. I can't choose to change it. If I could, I would, but I can't. So what choice is left in front of me? I have seen some things that have been born in my life that are beautiful as a result or connected to this thing that's terrible. So I can either continue to wish for something that will never happen or I can be in some sense cognizant of, dare I say, grateful for the fruit that God has born in the tilled soil of my pain. That's what we're talking about. Look for the activity of God growing you and changing you in the aftermath of struggle and let it prove to you that he is keeping this promise to you. Now, I realize there may be some who are with us today or watching online right now who consider themselves a skeptic, who are not, not quite yet bought into all of this Christianity stuff and and if you are here with us or watching with us, thank you. Thanks for being, thanks for being with us. Um, and to, and to, your, to your skepticism, I would say it's understood. It's understood that you would say, yeah, but, but how do you know? How, how do you know that all of this is going to end in glory someday? How, how can you trust that? And I think that's a, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, ultimately, I would say that, remember, all of this is in the context of faith, 
So there's no equation that's going to prove this to you. But there is reason and, and rationale behind what we believe and what we hope in. I would point you to verse 5. If you're a skeptic, I think verse 5 was added to Romans 5 just for you. Verse 5 says this. This hope does not put us to shame. In other words, it's not going to let us down and humiliate us in the end. This hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Paul says this hope we have that God is going to make all things glorious is not going to leave us empty-handed in the end. He's going to follow through on it. We're not going to be humiliated with empty hands in the end. He's going to be good for it. And the reason we're confident of this is because God has poured his love into the hearts of believers. Now you might say, well, that doesn't make anything clearer for me at all. Well, you have to understand what Paul means when he says the love of God. What he means is Christ Jesus crucified for the world. Deeper in the New Testament, it says, what is love? This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice for us. So when Paul says love, what does he mean? Jesus Christ crucified for you and for me. God has, has placed within our hearts the truth of this sacrifice, the image of this sacrifice of God's own son sent into this world to live for you, die for you, rise for you, and then give everything he's earned to you. He's filled our hearts with that. What Paul is saying is this. If that's true, if God would do that for us in the past, of course we can trust him with this crazy promise for the future. And if you're skeptical about all of this, that's where I would point you. I would say, look at the cross of Jesus Christ and ask yourself this question. If that is true, if that happened, if that's a true story, then, then can I trust that God is up to something for my good and for his glory in the rest of my story? And of course, I would say yes. But let me close with this. Hugo Grin is a, is a man who survived the, the Nazi death camps in World War II. He was actually there with his father in Auschwitz. And he writes about being a young boy in the death camp at Auschwitz with his father, where they were, were scrambling and scraping for food just to stay alive. Like every little morsel that they would get, they would eat just a tiny bit, and then they would save some so that they could, they could eat and survive another day, another week, in this terrible environment. And he tells the story how when it came time for Hanukkah to be celebrated while he's in the death camp, he watched with, with, with horror to his young eyes as his father took this this lump of margarine that they had, the, the biggest source of food that they had at the particular moment. And the father used it as fuel to light the candles in their celebration of the holiday. And as a young boy, he looked at his dad. He said, Dad, why, why are you using our food to light the candles? And the father looked at his son and he said, Son, man can live for three weeks without food. He cannot live but three minutes without hope. And these lights are our hope. You have such hope that all the pains and all the hurts and all the problems that we're going through are leading towards and building to something great and glorious. On the other side of whatever your struggle is, may you receive the invitation to grow. May you lean into it. May you also choose to live as a healthy follower of Jesus, seeking to respond to the ups and downs of life 
by, by the move of the Spirit rather than, than react out of your woundedness as a human being. And may you have confidence Confidence that in the end, you will see that everything you've gone through has been building and leading to something glorious at the return of Jesus. Because, my friends, this is the truth. At the return of Jesus Christ, all things will be better than before. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that though this, though this life is so difficult, that you invite us to grow and to change, that, that you show us by the power of your spirit how to live as functional and healthy people despite our wounds and our hurts. And we thank you most of all that in the very end, we will get to see a bit of what you see now, how all of this fits together, that everything that has led us to tears will ultimately lead us to grace, the grace of knowing that you have authored a beautiful story when you bring all things to glory. Help us to have our, our hearts deeply anchored in that truth so that we might continue to go forward in life with joy, growing and changing not just on the inside, but with that change flowing through us for the benefit of those around us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.